0: Join with the welcome that's already been extended. Uh, It's good to be here. I'm Les Chapman, Senior Minister. And uh, I'm still trying to get over a cold I've had this past week. And so uh, I'm not greeting today. June and I are not going to be shaking hands with people. So, uh, and you're probably grateful for that. And I would understand that. And uh, I'm on antibiotics, fortunately. And hopefully we'll have it uh, kicked really, really quickly. Uh, I want to welcome those who are online. We always have people who join us online. I'm always surprised by people who say, hey, we watch you on Sunday. We love the Hendersonville Church of Christ. We love the worship. And this is people from all over the country. I mean, literally people from California all the way to the East Coast. Uh, it's, it's just pretty regular that I have people that I don't even know they're watching who, who will contact me and will say, just want you to know how much we appreciate the church there at Hendersonville. Uh, we are in a series of lessons on the book of Matthew looking at uh, our series as you go that we've been doing this year and the lesson series is entitled follow the master disciple maker and we're in Matthew chapter 20 and, and John was exactly right. John I thought for a moment you were going to preach the entire lesson. And I'm like wow he's spot on thank you so much and uh, but he, he just kind of got the tail end but boy he, he nailed it well. Uh, but we're in Matthew chapter 20, and of course we've been doing a series of tests at the beginning of each of our lessons. And so let's dive in to our quiz, and let me remind you once again why while I, while I am urging you to, to try and memorize what's in the various chapters of Matthew. If you learn the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, then you know the story in Mark, and you know the story in Luke. All three follow the same chronology of the life of jesus john's different Uh, john after reading the three gospels writes his gospel at least that's what the church fathers tell us and i've oftentimes described john's gospel as the paul harvey gospel he tells the rest of the story for those of us who are older we remember paul harvey and he would tell a story and then said now let me tell you the rest of the story and that's what john does in his gospel so let's look at matthew and we begin with question number one, and I have asked this question not every week, but many of the weeks that we've been doing the question. In what chapters do you find the Sermon on the Mount? The example, I mean perfect example of what Jesus preached during his ministry is found in three chapters of Matthew. And they're so important for understanding not only what Jesus preached, but what he calls us to, and those chapters are, are chapters 5, 6, and 7. You get that down, you've got a bulk of the teaching of Jesus. Question number two, what chapter do you find several of Jesus' first parables? Matthew loves to group the teachings. So he has Jesus' sermons. Here they are, five, six, seven. He's got the limited as well as some of the great commission in chapter 10. Then he gets to chapter 13. And he says, here's about half a dozen of the parables of Jesus. And so if you remember chapter 13... You're going to know the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the uh, mustard seed. I mean, you're going to get all of those right there in Matthew chapter 13. Question number three, in what chapter do you find the feeding of the 5,000? little mnemonic device, a little bit of mnemonic device. Matthew and Mark tell two feeding stories, feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. And the easiest way to remember those is the 5,000 is found in what chapter? 14. You're, you're somebody going, four. No, 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 14. Fourteen. Fourteen. Feeding of the 4,000 is then found in 15. And so if you get those in reverse, 5,000, 14, 4,000 in chapter 15. And so chapter 14 for the feeding of the 5,000. Question number four, in what chapter do you find Peter making the good confession? Stan preached on this several weeks ago. The very central theme of the entire book. This is the hinge on which the entire book turns. And Stan talked about that when he presented his lesson on it, found in chapter 16, right in the very heart of this important book. And then finally, question number five, based on last week, in what chapters, notice I put plural up there, in what chapters do you find Jesus teaching about divorce? Because Jesus actually speaks on it, and Matthew records it twice in in his gospel. A lot of times we miss the first one. The first time it's found over in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount in the series of You've Heard It Said But I Say unto You where Jesus uses about six illustrations to dive deeper in what it means to follow the commandments of God. And so you have chapter 5 and then last week chapter 19. Now today we're on chapter 20. And what a chapter it is. Wow. Uh, it begins by going back to chapter 19. At the end of 19, Peter is questioning Jesus about what the apostles are going to get since they have left everything and followed him. Notice the question. See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What's our reward? Because we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus, hearing maybe anxiety, maybe concern in Peter's question, responds by saying, truly I say to you, in the new world. Notice the way the ESV translates that. In the new world. Greek word there is Pelagian, Palin Genesia. It's a compound word. Only found twice here and over in the book of Titus. But it means in the world to come or when Genesis happens again. Palin again. Genesea Genesis. And, and so the Bible, when it talks about the future of God's kingdom, he doesn't refer to it as us flying away and spending eternity with God in heaven. Instead, what you get in Scripture is God recreating what he had created to begin with. Isaiah would call it new heavens in a new earth, repeated by John in Revelation chapter 21. Here Jesus calls it, when Genesis happens again, as the ESV uh, translates it, the new world. But he says to Peter and the apostles, you guys are going to sit on 12 thrones. And you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And let me tell you that anyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and lands because of me, you're going to receive a hundredfold. The maximum you can get, a hundredfold, you're going to receive eternal life. But then Jesus says something that it shocks us, Uh, it it shakes us, It, it causes us to pause for a moment when he says this at the end of the chapter, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, Jesus does this all the time. Lesson number one in our series today, Jesus turns the way most people think upside down. I mean, we live in a world that unfortunately is already upside down, so in one way you can say he's turning it right side up. He's putting it the way it's supposed to be. But Jesus says, listen, if you want to be first, then you're going to have to be last because the last are the ones that are going to be first, and you're like, wait a minute, what? He's going to use several other other illustrations, contrasting, opposites, by saying that if you want to be great, for instance, you're going to have to be servant of all. We'll look at that here in just a moment. And with that comment, Jesus goes immediately into a parable. I consider this parable one of the most important parables in all the Bible, only found here in Matthew's Gospel. But Matthew's going to teach us something about what it means to be last in order to be first. But it's the underlying lesson of grace that Blake mentioned just a moment ago that is so important in this passage. And let me tell you, this parable of Jesus runs against everything that seems fair in in the American world that we grew up in. So listen to the story. For the kingdom of heaven, God's coming rule, new creation, is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. In the ancient world, a lot of people were day laborers. They would go to a central location, usually the city square, and then people who needed workers for that day would come out early in the morning and start hiring people. Now, that still happens throughout the United States. Probably not in Hendersonville, okay? I don't know where anywhere in Hendersonville you can go and, and hire day laborers. But boy, in a lot of places in in the world, as well as especially farming communities here in the United States, you have day laborers. They'll show up at a place, and then somebody will come out, and and you'll hire different ones from the group to go and work for them that day, and they're paid day by day. That's the way it operated. So the man goes out early in the morning, probably around 6 o'clock in the morning, to hire some people because it's time to gather the grapes. Okay? Hot time. Summertime. Grapes are coming in. And so he goes out, and notice what he does. Now, very, very important. I can't emphasize this enough. Notice what's in yellow. Don't forget it. It's absolutely essential for understanding what's fixing to be taught. He goes out, he hires some workers, and they agree. he agrees with the laborers for a denarius a day. Now, a denarius a day was the standard wage in the first century. Soldiers were paid a denarius a day, okay? So this is just the standard payment for someone who had worked a full day. And so the master goes out. He, you know, picks the people he wants to work. He shakes hands with them, agreeing that at the end of the day, they're going to get the standard wage for a day's work. All right, keep that in your head. And so he sends them out into the vineyard. Then Jesus turns the story, beginning slowly but speeding up, upside down. And going out about the third hour, 9 o'clock in the morning, about 45 minutes ago, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he says, you go into the vineyard too. But look at the yellow. It's not the same as what he said to the ones at 6 o'clock. Three hours later, he simply says to them, whatever is right, I'll give you. Now, the question that's going to become important here in just a minute is what and how do you define the word right? Whose definition are you going to follow? And so he goes on from there, going out again about the sixth hour, 12 noon, and the ninth hour, 3 o'clock, he did the exact same thing. The master goes out at 6 He hires workers, they shake hands, denarius for the day. Then he goes out at 9, you go and work, I'll pay you what's right. Then he goes out and he hires people at 12, at 3 o'clock. And then watch what he does. And about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you work till 6, okay, 12-hour day. Five o'clock in the afternoon. He went out and found others standing. He said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Now, why have they not been hired? Best illustration I can give you is pick-up basketball when I was a teenager. I don't know how many of y'all played pick-up basketball. You, You go to PE class. You know, the coach would come in. All right, guys, we're just going to play basketball. Bob, Tom, y'all are going to be the captains. Everybody else line up, and y'all pick your team. Now, do y'all remember the commercial that's been on TV? Where, and I'm trying to think of the basketball player that's like eight foot tall. Somebody give me his name. No, not Wilt. Charles Barkley. Charles, y'all seen the commercial with Charles Barkley? Where he's out there and the little girl's picking, you know, her basketball team and she looks at Charles Barkley and says, I'll take Barkley. And he said, I knew I was going to get picked. You know, Charles Barkley, of course he's going to get picked. I'm five foot six. I can't even bounce a basketball, much less shoot one. I mean, when they say, can you do a layup? I go, yeah, I lay up every morning, late as I can. I mean, you know. And so when I was in high school, I knew I was always going to be the last one chosen. I mean, that's what happens to you. There are certain characteristics about you that when someone's hiring workers, you're going to get skipped over. I don't know, I don't know if, they were, if they were too old. I don't know if they were too young. I don't know if they were too frail. No one had hired them. And The master comes out at 5 o'clock and hires them. And they go into the vineyard. And then the six o'clock bell rings. And notice what the master does. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay their wages beginning with the last up to the first. Start with the guys hired at five o'clock. And then we'll go all the way to the ones hired at six o'clock in the morning. And so that's what he does. And here's my question to you. What would have been a fair wage for the workers who only worked an hour? Let's say a denarius today would be worth a hundred bucks. hundred bucks for a day's wages. I don't know if that would have been equal to back then, but let's just say it was. If a denarius is worth a hundred dollars, that is 12 hours of work, you're going to get paid a hundred bucks. What does one hour of work deserve? Eight dollars? I mean, you, I mean, what's fair? This, these people have worked one hour of the day. What is a fair wage for them? See the problem you run into, because most of you know the way the story is going to go. You've heard this story, and you're like, "Yeah, but that's not what Jesus does. That's exactly right." I mean, it causes us to stop for a moment and go, "What in the world's going on?" And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them received a denarius. They received $100. They've worked an hour. And they're getting $100? Yes. And then notice, now when those hired first, the parable, Jesus just skips the guys at 3 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 9 o'clock. He skips all of them. Goes to the ones hired first. They thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And now you know the problem. I've worked 12 hours. They picked me at the very beginning. I've worked all day. I've borne the heat of the day, and you're going to pay me the same you paid those that worked only an hour? I mean, you look at them. We've borne the burden of the day. We've borne the scorching heat, and all you're paying us is a denarius? Lesson number two, grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. And a lot of us have a trouble with that, far more than we realize. We, we serve a God of where we make an agreement. I mean, if somebody comes to me and says, Leslie, I want to be saved, what do I have to do to be saved? Here's what Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. That's what you got to do to be saved. I mean, I need a denarius, what do I need to do to get a denarius? If you work with me from 6 to 12, I'll pay you a denarius. There's the deal. The only problem is, is that God is a God of grace. And grace means that God doesn't always follow the rules that we go by. And that's exactly the point. Notice the point they bring up. And by the way, before I get to that, what should we be paid spiritually if we calculate all the years we've served God? Ryan Shepherd talked about this morning how that he's been taking communion for, you know, 52 years, was it, Ryan? I think I've been taking it 53. I'm, I'm a year older than him. We were baptized, both of us, when we were about 11 years old. And yet God looks at me and says, you think that makes you deserve what I'm giving everyone? Because the wages of sin, which I've been guilty of, all of us have been guilty of, is actually death. It's only the gift of God. It's only the grace of God that gives us any chance for life. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? I mean, we shook hands. We shook hands. And if you work all day, I'll pay you a denarius. Take what belongs to you and go. Look at his attitude. He said, the problem with you, I choose to give to these last workers as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Brothers and sisters, we cannot judge the world by the American system of work. It'll fail us every time. God doesn't operate that way. He operates off a system of grace, which is never fair. And as I tell people all the time, when we get to eternity, there's going to be a lot of people there that we don't think deserve to be there. And there's going to be a lot of people we thought would be there who's not going to be there. And we're going to say, is this fair? And God's going to say, do you begrudge my generosity? We need to let this parable sink in. Because this parable speaks to us a lot more than we realize. We don't need to be people judging how God distributes his grace. And so when people say to me, Hey, if I only go and work one hour a day, what's God going to give me? I don't know what he's going to give you. Because you see, I think if Jesus went and told the story again, and he told the story about the guys who were hired at six, and they said, well, I'm not going to work all day if he's going to pay everybody a denarius. Tomorrow, I'm going to show up at five o'clock. You think the master would pay them if they showed up at five o'clock a denarius? You see, a lot of it has to do with the heart of the individual and the heart of the master, knowing the heart of the individual. So the last will be first, and the first last. Jesus goes on from there, and he tells for the third time what's fixing to happen to him. He took the twelve aside. They're going to Jerusalem. It's almost the last week of his life. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and they'll be raised on the third day. By the way, this is now the third time he said this. He said it first time in chapter 16. Peter rebukes him. A second time in chapter 17. They didn't have a clue what he was talking about. This is now the third time. You go over to Mark's gospel, it's Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. And so Matthew kind of puts some additional material between the second and the third time. But Jesus is trying to get across to the apostles what's fixing to happen. And every time, this goes over their head. They've been taught ever since they were children that this is the way the Messiah will behave. Jesus keeps saying to them, no, this is the way the Messiah is going to uh, behave and they can't get away from what they've been taught all their life. And it's proven by the next two stories. Which leads us to the third lesson. God's plan is oftentimes difficult to comprehend. The Bible is one of the simplest books in all of history. It's the story of God. He created us, we rebelled, he loved us, he sent Jesus to die for us, and one day he'll bring us back into his his loving fellowship. I mean, it's a simple story. And yet it is a story that no matter how long you study it, how deep you go, you can never fathom all that's in this incredible book. It's that simple. And there are still aspects of walking with God that just fly right over my head. Why? Because I've been taught, because of what I think, because of what I refuse to unlearn. I mean, walking with God is never just a walk in the park. It's always challenging to the very end. And so it's illustrated by two stories. And John nailed it just a moment ago in the introduction. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? Now, y'all, I get ticked off every time I read this story. And the reason I get ticked off is because in Mark's account, James and John come. But Matthew is a a detailed guy. And so when he retells the story, he says, listen, I was there. Yes, James and John came, but it was their mother who asked Jesus. And let me tell you something. It ticks me off when someone has to send their mother to win a favor for them. I'm just here to tell you. I mean, when my teenage boys were growing up, I mean, the last thing in the world I wanted them to do is to go to June Chapman and complain. Because if they went to mom, I got in trouble. I remember saying to my youngest one one time, I said, if you ever, ever go to your mother again, and if I find out about it, you're going to regret the day you was born. Now, I don't know if he ever did. If he did, he's never told me, and June's never peeped a word. But these guys wanted mama to speak for them. And so, sure enough, Ms. Zebedee comes... Jesus says, what do you want? And look at what she said. Most challenging question we almost must answer. John said it this morning. What do you want? She said to him, say to these two sons of mine who are here to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. I'm simply asking James and John to be the top guys in your kingdom. One at your right, one at your left. And Jesus' immediate response, you don't know what you're asking. You don't have a clue. I mean, you don't understand what it means to sit at my right and left when I'm crowned king? Then you need to see a different picture. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? Yes, we're able. And Jesus just smirks and steps back and he says, you'll drink the cup, but you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because my right and my left When I'm crowned king, when that crown of thorns is digging into my head, it's left for those that God has prepared. One who's going to repent, one who's going to rebel, both signifying examples of the entire world before God. So he says to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. It's for two guys sitting in a jail in Jerusalem right now that in a week and a half now are going to illustrate the fact that some I came to save, others will never accept me. And that's who God's prepared for my right and my left. The ten here, and of course they're ticked off. It flies over their heads. How dare they you know, try to gain prominence in Jesus? He calls them together and says, Listen, guys, you're acting like the Gentiles. This is not the way it works in my kingdom. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you has got to be your servant, your, your, your diakonos. We get the word deacon from it. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, your doulos, the lowest of the slaves. Again, you want to be first, you've got to be last. You want to be the one who, who is great, then you need to be the one who is servant. Why? Because once again, going back to lesson one, Jesus turns the world upside down. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. It's not about sitting on a throne. It's about washing people's feet. So Matthew in his wisdom says, let me tell you one more story. This is the story that John taught. story of Jesus going through Jerusalem to blind men there. They hear that Jesus is coming through. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus calls them after they've been rebuked by the crowd. Jesus calls them over and asks them the exact same question he asked James and John. What do you want? I mean, don't miss that. That's in the exact same two stories, back to back. What do you want? And their response is simple. Lord, let our eyes be open. And John, you are exactly right. It's not about physical sight. It's about our eyes being open so that God will show us what we need to see so that we can become who God wants us to be. And I love that last thing that John mentioned. And when they received their sight, they didn't go home. They followed God. Jesus. And that's what anyone whose eyes are finally opened, whether spiritually or physically, will do. They will follow Jesus. Life is about seeing what God wants us to see. So number one, this next week, would you read Matthew 21? Number two, would you pray that God will open your heart to the power of his wonderful grace? I mean, God's going to judge us on the basis that we judge others. I want to be as gracious as I can in the way I treat others, so God will be gracious to me. Number three, pray for those around you who do not know Jesus. And then number four, ask God to open your eyes. We all need to open our eyes to what God is doing in this world, what he's doing in our lives. And if your eyes have been opened this morning, we have shepherds who are going to be going to the walls, some will be upstairs, some in the back foyer. They've got elders Names on, on their uh, name plates there. Just go to them. If you need to be baptized, they'll arrange it. If you need prayers, they'll pray with you. They're here for you. Please take advantage of that. You can go right now. Let's go we stand and sing.